Hello and welcome to Following the Rules. This is a podcast about the rules shaping UK and EU financial services and the people responsible for understanding and implementing them. Because in one of the world's most regulated sectors, following the rules isn't always easy. I'm your host, financial journalist Lucy McNulty, and every episode I'll be asking the most influential personalities in financial regulation for their input on the sector's most pressing issues. Now, more than ever, our communications are distributed and digitally connected. They are the lifeblood of the enterprise. With Smash, you can leverage all of your communications as a strategic asset. Smash enables companies to transform oversight into foresight by surfacing business critical signals in more than 100 digital communication channels, from email to WhatsApp to Zoom and many more. Regulated organizations of all sizes rely upon the Smash portfolio of cloud-native, AI-enabled digital communications capture, retention, and oversight solutions to help them identify regulatory and reputational risk within their communications data before those risks become fines or headlines. Smash serves a global client base spanning the top banks in North America, Europe, and Asia, along with other leading financial firms and various government agencies. To discover more about the future of communications capture, archiving, and oversight, visit www.smarsh.com. We have to look forward to a UK in five or 10 years' time where we've got very low cash usage. I'm sure cash will still be available, but it won't be routinely available, perhaps in quite a large number of outlets. And that means we need to give much more attention to digital inclusion and digital payments. And that's why Link is focused on both protecting access to cash, but also lobbying and arguing hard for more work for digital inclusion, because we've got a long way to go in the UK. And I think we've only got five or 10 years to fix it. Today's guest outlines how the UK can best prepare for a move to a cashless society. He calls on lawmakers to do more to guide those uncomfortable with that move through the transition to a digital economy. And he explains why any such digital inclusion programme must start with the clampdown on the UK's big digital fraud problem. John Howells is a former banker and consultant who has run the UK's cash machine network since taking over as chief executive of cash machine provider Link in 2012. In 2022, he also took on the role of commissioner for the UK's Financial Inclusion Commission. Hi, John. Welcome to Following the Rules. Thank you for having me, Lucy. Link is the UK's main cash machine network, and you're its CEO. So what's topping your to-do list at the moment? The big challenge in the UK is the move from payments in cash to payments in digital. And Link's job is to make sure we protect cash for as long as people need it and to help people move to digital payments. Okay. And we're speaking as the UK is in the midst of a major post-Brexit rethink of its rulebook. As part of that, the UK outlined its plans for regulating the financial services sector earlier this year in the Financial Services and Markets Act 2023. And that included legal requirements for banks and building societies to provide consumers with free access to cash and deposits. Under the new rules, for those who might not be aware, banks must provide free cash withdrawals and deposits to consumers within a three-mile radius in rural areas and a one-mile radius in urban areas. The Financial Services and Markets Act also included new powers for the Financial Conduct Authority to protect access to cash services and to be able to find firms who don't provide this. What do you make of these provisions? I think the UK is facing very, very profound change as we move from analogue to digital. It's not just in cash, it's digital is becoming more and more important. When I joined Link 10 years ago, I think six out of 10 payments were in cash. Just before COVID, 
it was three in 10. It's probably below one in 10 now. So really major change in how payments are made. And for most people, it's a really positive experience. They use Amazon, they use Apple, they like using digital. But the thing about the change is it's not uniform. Link reckons about 5 million consumers are not happy moving to digital. And the problem is, unless we do something about that as a country, we're going to leave far too big a chunk of the population behind. You can't have something like payments not working for 100% of the population. And the challenge which Link faces running the ATM network is how do we go with the change which is happening in a way which doesn't leave 5 million of the population behind and unable to live their daily lives. It's really serious stuff. If you can't buy good services, if you can't use the best services on offer from utilities, it's, it's a real problem. And you talked about the Financial Services and Markets Act, and I think it's a really positive thing that government, with cross-government support, has got protection for access to cash built into the Financial Services and Markets Act. That puts us ahead of many countries around the world who are all facing the same change. And what it means for UK consumers is is that they can look forward to protection for cash and the infrastructure which supports it as we continue to move to a cashless economy. Uh, But we also need to recognise that's the way the country is going. And we have to think about how do we help people use digital? That's the other big challenge which we face as an economy, which I'm hoping the Financial Services and Markets Bill will be a key catalyst to driving. Do you think there are any opportunities or challenges that lawmakers missed as they were drafting the Financial Services and Markets Act? If you read the bit relating to cash, it basically says the government will ask the Treasury to write a policy statement and the FCA will then implement that and a number of firms who are responsible for cash will be in scope. So it's it's very much an enabling act that's been a hallmark of a lot of recent financial services regulation. It means that the Treasury, whether it's this government or the future ones, can respond to changes in the marketplace and change the policy statements which regulators respond to. And then the FCA, in this case, can come up with the detailed rules to make sure that what the industry is doing is responding to change because technology change is, is very rapid. Four years ago, people would never have heard about central bank digital currency. We were still using cash as the majority payment a decade ago. So it's having legislation which allows the government of the day to respond to circumstances and has a very powerful regulator in the shape of the FCA implementing it is excellent. Do I think the detail will change? Well, yes, I'm certain because technology is changing so fast. And what's going on at the moment is that the policy statement has just been published by the Treasury. The FCA has said it is going to consult on the detailed rules that it's expecting industry, including Link, to follow. And it'll start that probably around November time this year and finish by the summer next year. So we've got quite a lengthy period where everybody who's interested can get stuck into that detail. And what I'm hoping and expecting is that the currently voluntary arrangements, which Link on behalf of banks are operating to maintain access to cash in high streets, ATMs and shared branches are going to be strengthened and that we'll have a period where we can see cash protected for the next five or 10 years. But if I look at the amendment debates, which happened as the Act came into power, a very lively debate with cash, probably the most talked about element in both Houses of Parliament over the course of the summer, 
What about face-to-face banking services as well as cash? What about the other things which are going to start disappearing as the majority of the population get comfortable with digital banking and new forms of digital innovation? What are we going to do there? So I would expect over the next five or 10 years that the policy statement will be developed, the act itself may be developed, and that the FCA will use it to also make sure that all areas of financial services where people need help as we move from cash to digital are protected and we don't have the dreadful problem of millions of people not being able to access something as essential as payments and and banking. Okay, so happy with it now, but you see it as a work in progress, essentially. Yeah, a good, flexible platform, which will develop as the country develops. Mm -hmm. Okay. And you mentioned central bank digital currency. And like many major economies, including the EU and US, the UK government and the UK's central bank, the Bank of England have been formally exploring what a central bank digital currency would look like in the UK. And a UK CBDC, as it's otherwise known, or Bitcoin, as it's sometimes referred to, would be a digital version of the pound. It would be regulated and issued by the Bank of England. It would be stored in virtual wallets run by private banks and spent like cash. If the government decides to implement such a thing, it could radically overhaul the UK's monetary system. It would provide the UK with a new currency and payment system. How do you see Link working alongside a central bank digital currency? Well, the simple fact is that consumers and businesses are choosing to move to digital payments. And that's not something which has been driven by government or by central banks or by industry. That is the choice of consumers. It's the choice of businesses. And unless something major changes in the world, it's going to continue happening. So a world where we've got a lot less cash and more digital is coming. And then that begs the question for government and central banks, what's going to be their involvement? And what I'm certain is that whatever people are saying, the actual answer will not be what's out in the media at the moment. The general flavour in the popular press is a central bank digital currency is something rolled out centrally and done to the country. As people start talking about central bank digital currency, you get into really complicated issues about digital ID, about national ID cards, about privacy, about government and regulatory involvement in data. So you can see it's not just about tech and blockchain and cyber. This is about how people and society wants to live their lives. Now, my personal view is that cash and digital payments will need to live alongside each other for a decade or two, maybe even longer. And so as digital comes in, I'm certain the central bank in the UK, the Bank of England will be heavily involved in that in some sort of way. I think we'll see existing payment methods like cash and familiar digital payment methods like standing orders, direct debits, faster payments existing alongside central bank digital currency. And that's a good thing because it means that people can get comfortable with it. But I also think it's going to be increasingly the private sector and competition, which is going to shape what consumer wants, because the way to get acceptance and adoption in a big, sophisticated market like the UK is to let the people choose, let businesses choose. And that means that the central bank and the regulators and government will be much more in enabling mode and in making sure regulation is there to protect people from fraud, protect the vulnerable, make sure they're not excluded. But I'm expecting the private sector to end up playing a very significant role here. And, and Link will play its part in that. Link is a private sector organisation And we will develop to work alongside digital payments and CBDC as they develop. And as I say, Lucy, I think there'll be a lengthy period of 10 or 20 years where cash and digital will be working hand in hand. And I think it's perfectly likely that people will be able to go to an ATM and switch whatever their digital currency is into cash and vice versa for a period. 
that is the way to make sure people are comfortable with it. If they suddenly find that the way they've been paying their, their whole lives disappears, they'd be very uncomfortable. So CBDC needs to be introduced carefully and with lots and lots of choice and control from the population and businesses, not imposed top down and centrally. So I think it'll be much more lighter touch from the centre with a focus on consumer protection and it'll be a consumer-led move into central bank digital currency because nothing else can work. Okay, so could you elaborate on what role you see the private sector playing? Yeah, well, what we do know is that we've got a big shift away from traditional bank accounts and traditional ways of making payments like the international card schemes to wallets, to digital currency, to bank payments. All of that is something which the government and the regulators are encouraging and therefore the question is, how do we make sure we move in a way where the entire population can be involved and it doesn't just end up excluding two, three, four million consumers? So if we're moving to a digital wallet as the way which we're going to hold digital currency, who's going to provide that wallet? I'm absolutely certain that that will be provided competitively. And we're not going to have a Bank of England central wallet where Lucy and John have got their Bank of England bank accounts. And therefore, a vibrant, competitive sector with good regulation to protect consumers for things like central bank digital currency is going to be very important. But you're always left with a chunk of consumers, 5 million, who tend to be the poorer, tend to be the more elderly, tend to be the more vulnerable, who may not be top of the list when it comes to profitability and the focus for the private sector. And it's absolutely vital as we move from cash to digital that government and regulators look at how do we include that 5 million. That's the issue with cash, but it's also the issue as we move away from bank accounts to digital wallets. It was the issue with checks when checks became less important. It's it's always that vulnerable group, many, many millions who need to be protected. And the role of Link is to make sure on behalf of the banking industry that cash is protected, particularly for that 5 million as its usage declines. And I see an increasing role for Link working with the private sector and industry to make sure that digital inclusion is also picked up. There's many people out there who are not comfortable using digital. As we move to a more digital society, making sure we've got programs in place to help those five million is going to be increasingly important. With the move from analog TV to digital TV about 10 years ago, where it was retailers and tech companies who were coming up with the exciting products that most people wanted to buy. But there was a structured program to make sure we didn't leave people on old analog television, not able to access the national utility of communications. We'll have to do the same with payments. I actually think what Link does with ATMs is already in that place. So if you go back 25 years, ATMs tended to be provided by individual companies on behalf of individual banks. Today, Link provides those ATMs for the community on behalf of every card issuing organisation. And we're moving in that direction to make sure that the people who need help and support as they change aren't cut off. But we need more focus on digital inclusion and work to make sure we've got a national effort to move everybody across as well. And that's the missing piece from the debate at the moment. You can see from the responses to the Bank of England's consultation, where I believe they had thousands and thousands of replies from concerned citizens and lobby groups saying, well, what about privacy? What about safety? What about security? Bringing the population with us when it comes to CBDC will be vital. Part of that will be making sure it's led by competitive markets offering products that people choose and want to take up. 
Part of it will be by making sure people are guaranteed access to what they feel comfortable and safe with, whether it's cash, whether it's existing digital payments for as long as they need it. So it's one of the great things about the work on access to cash, which the Financial Services and Markets Act has done. It has taken any concern that people needed to be worried about that cash was going to disappear. It's not. It's going to be there. And now we can have a sensible approach to CBDC implementation, which is heavy on engaging competitive markets, light on central direction and control other than in areas around consumer safety. So for example, I think one of the areas where UK has led is in the regulation around stablecoin. These are digital currencies which are backed one-to-one by cash or near cash equivalent. It is likely that stablecoins will be an important part of digital currency going forward, maybe even part of uh, the CBDC regulation. And what that has focused on is protecting consumers to make sure they don't get ripped off because the stablecoin you've got actually didn't have the backing you wanted. But it's very much aimed at enabling competitive organisations to develop products and services for the consumer and the business marketplace, rather than a big, central, heavy-handed, this is what's going to be rolled out from the centre. That's a good call by the government and the regulators in this country. And it's one of the reasons that the UK is held up as leading edge in this space. So you've mentioned that you would like Link to play a role in promoting digital inclusion. What steps are you taking now to prepare for that? The banking hubs, which are basically an industry utility coming across the UK to replace the competitive market as it falls away, will be transformational for our high streets. Now, we've got about 5,000 traditional bank branches in the UK. It's not up to link to decide how many of those close or not, but you can just see from trends over the last few years that bank branches on most high streets are closing at a fast rate. And it wouldn't surprise me if many more thousands of bank branches closes over the next five years. And that means that given the Financial Services and Market Act and the obligation placed on banks, we're going to see a very large network of shared branches open up to replace that. And it wouldn't surprise me if that's approached in the thousand over the course of the next five to 10 years. And a thousand shared banking hubs will be a very significant national presence. It'll be very positive for high streets and consumers in terms of supporting cash, but it can do more. And one of the interesting questions for policymakers is, If you've got a thousand strong shared banking hub network, what can you use it for other than just supporting cash? For example, can you use it to help people with face-to-face banking services? Can you use it to help them move if they want to from cash to digital payments? So Link has got pilots that we're starting off. We have one in South Wales, we've got one in Northern Ireland, where we're starting to explore how we could use physical community-based locations like banking hubs to help local populations who want help move more to digital. It's absolutely vital that you guarantee that cash is protected. But then there is an opportunity to say, would you like some help with digital? When you're ready, if you've got questions about how you use digital banking apps, you've got concerns about fraud, you've got things which are just difficult for you to do by telephone or online because it's not the channel you're used to using, come into the banking hubs and you can talk to a real person and get support. I think there's a potentially very interesting role to help the 5 million, those of them who want to move from cash to digital, using the banking hubs to do that. And that is a potentially interesting role for the banks using Link over the course of the next five years or so. You've mentioned privacy as a concern in relation to CBDC a number of times. For those who might not be aware, could you summarise why that is a concern? 
depending on how it's implemented, you get the potential for a lot of central oversight over what people are spending their money on, how they spend their money, and potential controls. So the positive stories will be around programmable money, and isn't it great, and you can add intelligence to the way money works. But it's equally possible to use programmable money to stop people spending on particular activities, which might be deemed undesirable. And that would be deeply unpopular with any liberal democracy, including the UK. So our concerns about control are one area. The other area of controls are concerns about ID. It's very difficult to continue seeing development of the digital world, payments, metaverse, all that kind of stuff, without having a stronger and better approach to digital identity. And in this country, the idea of a central national ID card is hugely divisive. So this is the other area where government and regulators will be hugely mindful to do the right thing in the UK, do it in a way which is accepted by the population. And that double challenge of control and digital ID is the big issue for government and regulators as we move more into a digital world. We definitely need smart contracts, smart money, and we definitely need safety and security in authentication and ID, but it needs to be done in a way which is acceptable to the population. Okay. Are you discussing any of these issues you've mentioned today with lawmakers? All the time, because the reduction of cash is only one side of the coin. With the reduction in cash and the work that Link is doing to protect and maintain it, you also need to be looking at the take-up of digital payments, because cash is declining. There will come a point where it, it doesn't matter what government, the industry, and Link does, will be difficult to use cash as a daily universal payment mechanism across the country. And the lessons from other countries who are going through a similar cycle is that it is in retail acceptance where you get the first problem. So you can work with industry and Link to make sure we maintain a good network of ATMs and branches. But if shops stop accepting cash, then that gives a real problem for people who only use cash. Because if you think about it practically, it's not just obvious things like not being able to go and buy a loaf of bread or a cup of coffee, but increasingly some of the best tariffs, the best products and services are only available digitally. And we've seen a real increase in shops stopping accepting cash since COVID. There's talk about let's have legislation to force shops to accept cash, to change the definition of legal tender to mean you have to be able to accept it. But I really struggle to see the UK having you know, police going around to shopkeepers, telling them how they're going to run their businesses and whether they can or can't accept cash versus digital. So we have to look forward to a UK in five or 10 years time where we've got very low cash usage. I'm sure cash will still be available, but it won't be routinely available, perhaps in quite a large number of outlets. And that means we need to give much more attention to digital inclusion and digital payments. And that's why Link is focused on both protecting access to cash, but also lobbying and arguing hard for more work for digital inclusion, because we've got a long way to go in the UK. And I think we've only got five or 10 years to fix it. Okay. And in May, you took on the role of commissioner for the Financial Inclusion Commission, which is an independent body of experts from financial services, businesses, the charity sector, academia and parliamentarians from the major parties as well. Its aim is to create a financially inclusive UK where financial services are accessible, easy to use and meet people's needs over their lifetime. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that role involves and what's topping your to-do list in that context? 
the link board has had to look at that appointment and say, yes, that's good for our business as well as good for John. And what the link board sees is that financial inclusion, particularly digital inclusion for payments, is going to be the next big challenge. And the, the Financial Inclusion Commission has got a long and distinguished history campaigning cross-party on financial inclusion issues. But I think probably payments wasn't a big feature of what it's been thinking about previously. But because of the changes in technology, the reduction in cash, the increase in digital payments, it is going to be the financial inclusion issue for the next decade. And so Link wants to support, I want to support, and I'm therefore a commissioner now with the other commissioners on the Financial Inclusion Commission. And I am expecting it to be very, very active in providing evidence and support for what do we need to do to make sure that people aren't excluded from payments? How do we protect cash? And critically, how do we grow digital inclusion over the next 10 years to make sure we don't have 10% of the population left behind, but are actually able to take part of and contribute in the great benefits that digital and digital payments can bring. The appointment, as you said, happened earlier this year. There will be other appointments to the Financial Inclusion Commission over the next year as we approach the new government. And I'm expecting some very important and exciting work from the Financial Inclusion Commission on supporting digital payments as well as cash access and the other financial inclusion issues over the course of the next parliament. You've mentioned a number of times now that you see access to digital payments as a really critical issue to focus on in the near term. To what extent do you think that the current government and regulators understand that that is something they should be focusing on now? The regulators definitely understand it. It's less prominent with parliamentarians. They tend to be focused on problems with the world as it is today, rather than problems with the world tomorrow. And if you look at the amendments that were tabled in relation to the Financial Services and Markets Bill, they were largely about protecting access to cash and face-to-face -face services on the high street, rather than but how do we make sure we also have an inclusive digital approach in the UK. It's something which will grow strongly over the next few years. Parliamentarians will move from worrying about what's happening in the high street to also include digital. And Link wants to be ready for that, which is why we're investing so heavily in initial thoughts and work and parlance and how you do it and why I'm now a commissioner on the Financial Inclusion Commission. Okay. And as you've referenced, we're approaching an election year in the UK. 2024 should see all parties in the country vie to become the next ruling party in government. Ahead of that, what opportunities or challenges do you perceive for the UK's political parties in relation to the topics we've discussed today? Link is, as you would expect, studiously apolitical and invests a lot of time advising parliamentarians from all parties on access to cash and financial inclusion. I have to say I've been enormously gratified by the huge engagement that Link has had from every single party. So I've, uh, we've been to a recent round of conferences and we offered MPs meetings face to face, both on their constituency uh, and issues with access to cash, but also on policy matters and how, for example, shared banking banking hubs could protect access to cash, but also help digital inclusion. And we had excellent agreement from all of the three national parties and from parties in Wales, Scotland and Northern Ireland, not only on those detailed constituency issues, but also very good policy discussions with both the current government and potential future governments on 
what do we need to do in our high streets to protect access to cash and face-to-face banking services whilst it's needed, and also to focus more on digital inclusion. And if you look at the policy statements from the two main parties, you can see that that is picked up on. So pick on the Labour Party, for example, its policy document, which has been published, talks vigorously about the need to protect high streets as part of their plan for the development of the UK. And part of that is explicitly working with shared banking hubs to make sure that consumers have got access to cash and access to financial services. So I I see a a very positive support for this area, whatever the makeup of the next government is. And I think that is unusual. I think the work of the Access to Cash Review to build that cross-party support was useful. And of course, there are differences between the parties. There are differences between different parts of the country. Scotland, Wales tend to be more rural and have different needs to perhaps city centres. But broadly, the consensus is there. And I'm expecting to see some strong and good action in the world of payments, protection of cash and digital payment over the lifetime of the next government, however it's made up. Okay. And Labour is widely predicted to win the next election. What policies would you like to see a Labour government pursue? And are there any measures you would specifically like them to avoid? The policies that they say they're pursuing, I agree with, and they're the same for other parties. So we've talked about protection of access to cash and face-to-face financial services on the high street, as the traditional providers need to close branches and ATMs to make sure that there is no danger of people being left behind. The critical issue of digital fraud is being picked up very positively. We've got a big problem in the UK with digital fraud. It is far too high. It's one of the least desirable positions in most Western economies, and we've got to fix it. We're all at risk of fraud, which is running at over a billion a year. And it is failures in authentication, KYC, digital identity, which lie at the heart of it, in my view. And the government rightly has decided it's got a key role in how it regulates and how it develops those markets. And I'm pleased to see that fraud prevention on the digital side is key for all parties. And it's desperately needed. One of the big challenges we've got to get people confident with using digital payment methods is having fraud under control. It's the thing I hear most of all when you say to cash users, would you like to explore or have help in using digital payments? They say, no, I'm frightened I'm going to be defrauded. All that kind of stuff has to be dealt with over the next five years. So digital fraud is probably the first port of call to fix digital inclusion. So for listeners to this podcast, which includes MPs with an interest in financial services regulation, regulators and also regulatory and compliance professionals in the private sector, if you could summarise the top three action points you would like them to go away and act upon to further the goals that we've been discussing today, what would those be? What do we use the national network of banking hubs for beyond cash? How do we dramatically improve digital financial inclusion in the five years we've bought ourselves whilst cash is protected. And we've got to get a grip on fraud. It has to be dealt with. Otherwise, we're going to undermine the confidence of the general population in digital payments. Those are the three priorities for whatever the government makeup is post the next election. And it should be the focus, therefore, for their regulators. Okay. And who should be taking ownership of that? Should that be led by the regulators? Should that be led by the lawmakers? What can private sector participants do there? My view is that the way that fraud is dealt with needs to be much more about how the system operates and works. So when somebody loses their money through a digital fraud, it doesn't disappear. It's gone somewhere in the UK banking system. And we need a digital payment system 
ecosystem, which is much slicker at not only identifying transactions which could be fraudulent and stopping them or putting friction in them to slow them down, but also following the money. It is completely crazy that if you lose money, you can't go and find out where it's gone to and take appropriate legal action to get it back, which is what you do if somebody came and robbed you in the high street and took your wallet off you and nicked your cash. You'd have people going around looking to lock up the perpetrator and put them in prison. Whereas there's something about digital fraud, which means that when the money is gone, it just disappears into the system and can't be tracked. And instead, the focus is wrongly, in my view, on requiring the banks to repay the money to consumers. Of course, consumers need to have their money back. It's incredibly damaging and upsetting to be defrauded, potentially life-changing. But setting up a system where the underlying payment technology can't track where the money's gone to and catch the robbers and instead forces the banks to refund. That's a bad system and we need to reform that. The modern technology is excellent and rich in solutions. It's got to be done in a way which is affordable, acceptable by the population and safe. But there's no reason why we can't have technology which greatly improves the way that fraud is tracked through the system and deals with the KYC and authentication of consumers. It's not working well in the UK, works perfectly well in many other countries. We need to fix it. And that's been a place where regulators have misstepped. And I'm hoping that the increased involvement of government in dealing with fraud, driven by the huge levels of fraud and increased worry with consumer groups, the popular media, I hope that's going to be something which happens quickly at the start of the next government. Okay. So rather than it being on the bank's shoulders to source the technology to help them better clamp down on fraud, you see the solution being on the shoulders of government and regulators to really get a grip of this problem? Could well be up to the industry as well, which will need the help and support of government and regulators. It is difficult for competitors to work together to develop industry solutions. But what I am certain is it is those central technology payment systems where you'll get the fraud control that is required. And that simply requiring the banks to refund consumers who've lost money is a bad way to go about it. That doesn't stop the fraudsters. Government should have fraud control as a priority. And the regulators on behalf of governments need to work with industry to reform the way that payments are made to make sure we can stop the fraud at source or track it quickly and immediately in real time to get the money back and catch the perpetrators. At the moment, that isn't happening, but it's not good enough just to repay people. We need to stop that fraud or it causes untold damage elsewhere. Okay. And lastly, generally, what's one upcoming or current challenge that you believe not enough people are paying attention to? Digital inclusion. That is the challenge we need to deal with. There's far too little talk about how do we help people who want to move to digital payment methods do that. And we need to address that. There will come a point where cash is very, very low usage in this country. And our research shows we've got 5 million people who are not comfortable in any way with digital payments. That's far too many. That's getting on to 10% of the population. We need to deal with that as a matter of urgency. Okay. Well, thank you very much, John. This has been a really timely and thought-provoking conversation given the juncture we are at in terms of the development of the central bank digital currency. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you, Lucy. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Following the Rules with Lucy McNulty. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be very grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe on all the usual channels. It helps other people get to know us too.